Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're going to finish up our series on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. This is lesson number nine. First Corinthians chapter 12 will be our text. If you need the notes, we can get them to you. If you didn't get a copy of the notes, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Um, anyone else, just raise your hand. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 12. Let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. And here we have a revelation given to the Apostle Paul of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he manifests himself in the lives of the believers. And this is just part of it that says, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, that should be plural, healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles. You see, those three gifts, they make up the power gifts, gifts that do something. So these power gifts, special faith, gifts of healings and working of miracles. We talked about special faith, but now tonight we're going to take a quick look at these two last gifts, uh, gifts of healings and the working of miracles. And so I want you to notice something here in Job chapter 2 from the message translation of the Bible. The message. Satan answered, a human would do anything to save his life. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face. That's what. You know, one of our biggest challenges in life really is sickness and disease coming against human bodies. And we, we recognize that. But in that verse, we also recognize the fact that Satan knows that sickness is something that can challenge a man's loyalty to God. Oftentimes when people are overwhelmed, overcome by sickness and disease and their health is attacked, it's because the enemy wants to get them to curse God. And curse just means to speak out against God. God, you're God. Why am I sick? I'm a Christian. Why am I sick? I'm serving you. Why am I sick? Why am I challenged in my body? I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And yet here I find myself still challenged. Well, we understand this. Every grace we have in Christ and God is accessed by faith. It's by faith we access the grace wherein we stand. So it's not an automatic thing. It takes faith on our part. Well, God loves us well enough, you see, to make provision for us so that we can have healthy bodies. He has a part to play in it, and we have a part to play in it. we got to do our part. He'll do his part. His part is to make provision for it and make it possible for us to be healthy and also to get healed. And there are certain ways he's done it. But before we look at those ways, there is, number one, the message of healing. And then there are methods of healing. The message of healing is clear. And look in the book of Isaiah. This is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. Say with me, Jesus, you bore my sicknesses. 
Jesus, you carried my pains. Isn't that good to know? But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. That's the message. And that message doesn't change. That message was from the beginning. It goes throughout the entirety of the Bible. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the son of righteousness. He's arisen with healing in his wings. There's a healer in the house. His name is as ointment poured forth. Hallelujah. By his stripes, we were healed. Glory to God. This is something the church should have been taught way back when we were that little. To be taught these blessed truths that build faith in people's lives. Look at the book of Numbers. We see the same thing echoed here. This was the type of what Christ did for us. When they were bitten by the snakes, the venomous beasts attached themselves to the poison, started the course of their being. Moses cried out to God because the people cried out to Moses. And God said to Moses, do this. Get yourself a serpent, put it on a pole, and let the people look at it. So therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it on a, upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Hallelujah. Boy, that's so rich, isn't it? The serpent. The devil tries to bite us with sickness and disease. God made provision. It was a type of Christ dying on the cross. You can go to John's Gospel, chapter 3, and you see that's the reference. He became the curse on that tree. He bore the sin for us. He bore the sickness. He bore the mental anguish for us. He took it all on himself for us. That is the message. Why? So that we could be free. But you got to look. You've got to behold with a steady absorbing gaze. You have to look at the sacrifice and what it means. You have to embrace it. As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he talked about the Lord's Supper, rightly discern the Lord's body. So as we rightly discern the Lord's body, praise God, and we look at, at it with a steady absorbing gaze, and we realize he bore our sin, sickness, and carried our pains, and with the straps were healed, it gives place and opens up the door to his healing powers manifesting in our lives. That is the message of healing. But now the methods vary. There are many different messages. Matter of fact, I have a few listed here for you to look at. There is the prayer of agreement. Two people come together and agree as touching anything they shall ask. Jesus said it will be done by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18, verse 19. Can I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That means two people can come together and just say, we agree on this healing. And that's one way to receive healing from the Lord. So he made that provision. The next one is found in Mark 16, 18, and you're familiar with this one. They shall lay hands on the sick. So here it says they shall take up serpents if they drink anything that shall hurt, will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall what? Notice it doesn't say they shall instantly be healed. It says they shall recover. From that point on, when you lay hands on somebody, they're to believe, I'm recovering. I'm recovering. 
I'm in the process of recovering. How are you? I'm recovering. But how do you feel? I'm recovering. I'm in the process of recovering. Why do you say that? I had hands laid on me. And Jesus said, if I have hands laid on me in his name, then I will recover. So I'm recovering. Praise God. Next. Speak to it. Saying it. Mark eleven twenty three. You're familiar with the text. If you're not, you should be by now. After all these years. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain of sickness, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not down in his heart, but believe that those things which he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Hallelujah. Say it. But you got to believe in your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass. What? Say it. Say COVID out of my body in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Say it. We got a belief from the heart that will be saved with our mouth. Once again, we thank God for every method he has provided for us. And it doesn't matter which one we use, but we should be led of the spirit as to what God would have us to do. Look at the next one. Believing prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, based on the law of faith, I say to you that what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. All things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. There's a part that we have to play and that's called the believing part. I believe God's at work in my body. I believe he set me free. I believe I'm healed. I believe I'm whole. I'm calling myself well in the name of Jesus. In the next one, Acts 19, you've seen us do this here numerous times. Verses 11 and 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Through prayer cloths, we can transmit the power of God into a person's life. And in so doing, the disease can depart from them, evil spirit go out of them. Isn't that something? Isn't that something that you could take, for example, for example an apron, a handkerchief, or something of that nature, a cloth, and pray over it, believe God that it saturates you know, that cloth with his glorious presence and power. So much so that the disease will depart from them and evil spirit go out of them. Oftentimes I tell of an occasion years ago when we used this method and, and someone that was in a comatose state that they didn't expect to live through the night. Left it with them on their body and they completely came out of it completely whole. Remember, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the power of God that's released. You just got it there and praise God, they just pinned it to their cloth, the cloth to their clothes and they were delivered and set free. Then you've got James 4, 5, 14 and 15. We should know these verses as well. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So we see another method here is the anointing with oil in the name of the Lord and prayer, the praying the prayer of faith. These are methods. The message is always the same. The methods are different. You can use any method here. But this next one is what our subject is tonight. And it is called gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. We saw that in, the, in, in a 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Gifts of healing. It says healing, but in the Greek it's healings. It's plural. And there's a reason for that. But first of all, what it's not. It's not Christian science. It's not metaphysical mind science religions. It's not mind over matter, like some people think. It's not a natural gift. It's a supernatural gift. And thank God for the medical field, but it's not medical science. 
We thank God for the medical field. We thank God for all the dedicated healthcare workers that are out there that devote their lives to helping humanity to recover from sickness and diseases and all that by dedicating their, their cells and, and many years of their lives to study, to, to help people with compassion. We thank God for that. But that's not the gift at all. So we're talking about a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God that deals with the sphere of sickness and disease apart from anything else. Now, we're not saying you couldn't use medical science. That's great. You can use any help you can possibly get. As far as I'm concerned, we should use anything and everything we possibly can to be whole and to be well. To be honest, if you're honest, if I'm honest, did God not make our bodies to heal themselves? Isn't that something that automatically takes place? Doesn't your, I did a study once on the blood and how it works. It's amazing. It's amazing when you take the, get an understanding of how the blood works when you get a cut and everything that goes into action to close up that wound, to coagulate the blood and all that. It's amazing how God has made the body. And so we want to be well, we want to be whole because God put that instinctively in each and every one of us and he designed the body that it wouldn't be whole, that it could be whole. And so God wants us well. He wants us whole. But what is it? It's a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God in the sphere of sickness and disease. And it's plural because we know that there are different classifications of sickness and disease. So as an individual in the body of Christ, you can be used by God with this gift. And you can minister healing to somebody through the gift called gifts of healings. But... In the revival of 1947-1958, the ministers that were mightily used during that time, and there were many of them, but that was called the healing revival, they compared notes. And when they compared their notes, they discovered this. Man, when I, I pray for people, tumors dissolve. Man, when I pray for people, their blind eyes open. When I pray for people, the deaf ears are unstopped. I have more success with the deaf. I have more success with the blind. I've got more success with the lame. I've got more success with people that have internal problems. And they were just comparing all their notes. And they began to realize this gift called gifts of healings was really manifesting itself through their lives. And so whether, you know, you had the gift to where blind eyes open more so than anything else as far as when you prayed for people. You know, that was a manifestation of the gifts of healings. And you were more successful in that area. So you're dealing with specific diseases. Well, you take, for example, uh, before I got saved, when I was young, I lived in Youngstown, Ohio. And I, we used to go to Stamball Auditorium because the wrestlers used to wrestle there. And Bruno Sammartino was one of my favorite when I was just a young kid, you know, wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Remember Bruno Sammartino? That's when wrestling was wrestling. <laughs> Today, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You beat each other with a chair and whatever. Anyhow, but I would see this sign out front of Stamble Auditorium and it said, Miracle Service, Catherine Coleman. Who's Catherine Coleman? I don't know who Catherine Coleman is. You know, I just drive by. I have no clue, no idea who she is. Right there in my backyard, but I didn't know. I wasn't saved. I had no clue who she, I could have just gone into those meetings and, and all that, wandered in, and who knows what would have happened, got saved or whatever, but I didn't know. But she had gifts, the gifts of healings. She would come out in her flowing gown, 
And they say she had one of the longest fingers in the world. And she'd point that finger out. Have you been waiting for me? She's a very dramatic individual, you know. And then it would ha- start to happen. You up there, you're being healed of cancer. Instantly healed of cancer. And God used her that way. You see, you can't covet that. It's as the Spirit wills that He anoints people in specific uh, ministries. So she had this amazing healing ministry, which was wonderful. And during that time, it was a calling card. It was calling people back to, to the Bible to get an understanding of supernatural healing, spiritual healing by the power of God. But always remember this. When these things are in manifestation, they are signs. Like a billboard, it's a sign to make you hungry. When you see something on that sign up there that's very inviting and it just makes you hungry, the whole thing is to do what? Capture your attention and to get your juices on the inside going so you stop by their restaurant and whatever it is that you're looking at, you start to eat. Well, the calling card was the, during this time, gifts of healings, in manifestation, working of miracles, working together, people were getting healed, and all of a sudden they got a hunger for God. But then, during that time, we went from the healing ministry to the charismatic revival, getting people out of denominational churches to come into, into Bible studies that were in basements and in homes and all that, and it got them on fire for the gifts of the Spirit and, and their operation, right? But then we went right from that into the Word movement. Because you see, the ultimate goal for God was to get people rooted and grounded in the Word of God. So he got their intention with the signs and the wonders and the miracles and this charismatic movement. All of a sudden, now back to the Bible. And he goes, look, I sent my Word to heal you and deliver you from your destructions. All that out there is a calling card. You can't live on the calling card. We can't live on the signs and wonders. We get to a place that we've come to understand truth. And God says... I delight when my people, when my children walk in truth. So the ultimate goal and the aim was to get us to walk on our own two feet with God, knowing that by his stripes we were healed. But he'll use these gifts to bring us in. And so he's anointed people like, for example, a Kenneth Hagin. I was privileged to sit under the ministry of Kenneth Hagin uh, at Rainbow Bible Training Center. That's what it was called then. It's Rainbow Bible College right now. But it was Rainbow Bible Training Center back then in 1978. But as I studied his life, I saw some things that I learned that God had done in him. Way back when, when God called him, he had a visitation on high where he went to heaven. And he said, Jesus, as he bowed before him, took the right finger of his right hand and put it on his palms and said, I have given unto thee a special anointing for healing of the sick. That's a gift of healing. That's a gift. It's a gift of healing that God wanted him to use to benefit the body of Christ, to make it easier for them to receive their healing. Now, people still had to mix their faith with it, but the anointing was there. It was increased. It was powerful. And multitudes of people were healed as a result of it. Then you got someone by the name of, I think you'll know, Oral Roberts. And, you know, you'll go way back to the ministry of Oral Roberts and you see how God used him in the healing ministry as well. you got T.L. Osborne. You've got William Branham. You've got Jack Coe. I mean, and the list goes on and on of individuals that God used during the healing revival. 
and anointed them with gifts of healings. And they went about doing all kinds of miracles. Maria Woodworth Edder from Columbiana, Ohio. You ever read her book? Yeah. All, I think it's, it's All Things Are Possible or The Signs and Wonders. By, yeah, Maria Woodworth Edder. Amazing miracles that would just absolutely open up our eyes to what God's all about. She was arrested for healing the sick without a license. How about that one? She should have just said, well, here's my license right here. But God took her and used her in such a dynamic and powerful way beyond anything you can even comprehend. It's like walking into Bible days again. God's intended purpose is to get everybody's attention and wake them up to the truth of divine healing. And that's what he set out to do. Well, he did. And he used all these individuals. And the list goes on and on and on and on. You can just name all these other individuals with these different gifts of healings. This is a brief version of it so we can get to the next section, which is working of miracles. Notice the terminology, working of miracles. This is something that you work. It's a working of miracles. Others you can receive, but this is something you work. And what it's not, it's not the miracle of science. Oftentimes, people will call things that man has done a miracle. Like it's a miracle that we landed on the moon. How many of you know that's not a miracle? It is man using his intellect to deal with natural laws, coming up with an apparatus that enabled him to get to the moon. Now, a miracle, when it comes to landing on the moon, would have been like this. You're standing on earth, and in a heartbeat, you're translocated, and you're now on the moon. And you're sustained without any kind of a spacesuit. Then you're wondering why you're there. And you say, Lord, take me back to the earth. <laughs> and in a heartbeat like that, you're back on earth. Now that would be a miracle. But man coming up with a device or an apparatus that enables him to leave the earth and make his way into heaven is not a miracle. It is just man using his intellect. Uh, when you think about, for example, um, a miracle drug. Do you remember way back in those Western movies in those days, they had these doctors that went about, yeah, and they had their wagons they went about with all their cure-alls, miracle drugs and all that. You know, this here is going to help that, and this here is going to help that. Some were shysters. You know that as well I, as I do. They set up people to do all stuff like that. This miracle drug. Well, thank God that man can come up with advances in medical science and help come up with, you know, like, antibiotics and all that sort of thing, come up with uh, a vaccine for smallpox and polio. and all. Thank God for all that. It's not a miracle, though. It's man using his intellect that God gave him to develop these things and come up with these things, but it's still dealing with natural laws in the medical science field. And we thank God for that. Now, one of my favorites is this. How many of you know that Miracle Whip is not a miracle? How many of you know that? How many know why someone had to come up with Miracle Whip? Anybody know why? Not one knows why? You want to know why? Because of Hellman's. You'll get that in a moment. <laughs> well, we had to come up with a miracle to counteract the Hellman's. We believe in miracles. <laughs> Forgive me. 
It's not the wonder of nature. A miracle is not the wonder of nature. It's a miraculous sunrise. It may look miraculous, but it's not. A miraculous sunset. Have you ever sat along the shore and you saw this amazing sunset? Some people might even say, that's a miracle. Well, it's not really a miracle. It's nature at work. God's design. He put it all together. And we thank God for that. It's wonderful. But it's not a miracle. You see, what about the birth of a child? The miracle of childbirth. Well, it's wonderful, a brand new life. We understand that. But still, once again, it's based on natural laws that God put together. Remember uh, all the... I, I told Andrew just the other day, we were driving by these huge trees in front of the, the, this, per, this person's house. Huge, humongous. I said, Andrew, you should look at that tree. Look how thick it is. Look how big it is. Look how tall it is. I said, it came from a seed that big. You might think that's miraculous. It's just the law of nature. God said he put a seed inside itself so that it would reproduce after its own kind. Right? So it's really not a miracle, although it looks like it. Something that small could turn into something like that. Amen. But it's not a miracle. No. You see, a miracle is something that's supernatural. Something that transcends, that goes beyond natural laws. As a matter of fact, it intervenes when it comes to the course of nature. So your, your definition is, it's a manifestation of the spirit by which supernatural intervention by God occurs in the ordinary course of nature. So it bypasses, it goes beyond what nature can do. You see, it's supernatural. It's called working of miracles. And one of the most outstanding miracles in all the Bible, which I don't have listed here, but you remember when Hezekiah was told, get ready, get your house in order, you are going to die. And he turned his face to the wall, right? And he cried out to God for mercy. And the Lord said, I'm going to add 15 more years to your life. He sends Isaiah the prophet back to tell him. And he says, now, what do you want God to do to prove or to show you that he meant what he said? Shall the shadow on the sundial go ahead or go back? And what did he say? Well, I don't think it's a big deal for it to go ahead. But if we're going to do something miraculous, let's get it to go back. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Meditate on that for a while? Wow. Turning back the hands of time. That's not natural. Because you see, the natural order of things, it continues on. I wonder what kind of effect that really would have had. <laughs> Did you ever see the movies like Back to the Future? And all that, we go back and all that and try to relive what it would have been like had this person never lived or whatever. But imagine that. How about when... When uh, Joshua, well, I mean, when Moses had to have Aaron and her hold up his arms so that they could fight and win the victory. How about in jo with Joshua, when Joshua, it stopped, everything stopped for a day. Time stopped for a day. See, we're talking miraculous. What about a head, an iron axe head swims? See, that goes against nature, doesn't it? See, the miraculous goes beyond nature. The miraculous is a supernatural manifestation of the power of God 
that comes into the realm of nature, and what does it do? It alters everything. It alters the ordinary course of, of nature. So, some biblical examples. Look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 9. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went into the Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men, the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Did you ever throw a rod down? Did you ever throw a stick down on the ground? Did it become a serpent? Is that ordinary for that to happen? No, that was a miracle. That was God moving into this realm and doing something that cannot be done by nature. Now, the magicians, which goes to show you that they can copy. You see, they're not creative, but they can copy. But who showed himself to be the greater one? God did when Aaron's rod ate up all the other snakes. I don't know about you, but I'm not big on snakes. How about you? Exodus chapter 8. Look at this one. This, this was, to me, just unthinkable. Exodus chapter 8, verse 16 through 18. Here we have, anybody like dust? Isn't dust annoying sometimes? Yeah. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out that, that's, yeah, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice. Hmm. Throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. That'll make you dust your house. In a hurry. Get rid of all the dust. Now, is that ordinary that that would happen? That's something miraculous. That's something that goes beyond our ability to comprehend and think, wouldn't you say? You just can't process that in your thinking. The dust became lice. And can you imagine being covered with lice? Uh, not a good thing. Look at the next one, Exodus chapter 14. We read some of these things and maybe we should just kind of give it a little bit more thought. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Notice, he dried up the bottom of the sea. The waters were congealed like a wall on both sides of them. Of course, the width of it had to be beyond what we can comprehend to get a couple of million people to go across that. It's just... 
really boggles my mind when I think these scientists that came up with a way that happened naturally. And I was thinking one day, they said and a wind came and it blew. And I was thinking, and I know, and they set up fans to dry the ground. These big old fans. You ever see those big old fans they use to dry up things? Yeah, they put them along the seashore there to dry up all the land. And it boggles your mind to think that educated people actually think that that's how it happened. It was a natural phenomenon. I think it would be harder to think that than to say that Almighty God that made the heavens and the earth parted the sea with His mighty power and dried up the land so they can go across. Hmm. That doesn't just happen. Look at 2 Kings. Now this one you're going to want to pocket. This one you're going to want to bank on. You ready for it? Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou, thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in your house? Notice, what do you have? It's in your house. What do you have? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house but save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her, hand, upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay off your debt, and live you and your children off the rest. That's called Social Security. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Imagine... One little miracle took care of all her debt and gave her a retirement for the rest of her life. It's almost like Peter, when he went fishing, couldn't find any. And then Jesus said, cast your net down over there. And he did and he got enough. I believe he got enough to fund the whole three years of his ministry. So that Peter didn't have to work. He could be with him and all the fish provided for all their families while they went away and, and walked with Jesus. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about divine intervention in the realm of human nature, where he changes the course of human nature. But the thing is, do we long for these things? Do we long for these manifestations of God's glory? Do we just want them to happen? I remember when I first got saved. I, you know, when you first get saved, you, you know, what did Paul say? You've got zeal, but not according to knowledge. Right? Did you have zeal, not according to knowledge? You were zealous. But yet, man, you were also like, you know, a little flaky. Admit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we've all been there when we first got saved. You know. 
But I remember hearing all kinds of stories. Some of the ones, I don't know if you heard them too, but these were just amazing stories where these two girls came out of the uh, mall at night. They were working, I guess it was, and they went to their car. When they got to the car, the car wouldn't start. And so they got in the car. They, they were, you know, the doors were shut. They were in the car. The car didn't start. And these guys, these hoodlums came along and they were not meaning any good, any good thing toward them, kind of laughing at them. And they said, uh, see, they were Christian girls. They said, they prayed, Lord, get us out of here. Start this car. That was their little prayer. Started the car up, took off, got home. The father told her father what had gone, what happened. And the father comes out and says, well, let me look at the car. Lifts up the hood. There's no battery in the car. What? There's no battery in the car. How did it start up? Supernaturally. Supernaturally. Now someone says, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Well, I, I know, because when you're skeptical, you don't believe anything. You know, um, one that I thought was really outstanding was this. This fellow was going with a group, and they were traveling off to a Bible study somewhere, and it was out further than what they had thought or anticipated. And they didn't want to be late. So as they were traveling out and traveling out, and it was, but it was getting to where the gas gauge, the needle was going down more and more and more and more. And they finally got to a place that said, if we, we're going to run out of gas. And they saw this gas station. So they pulled over, they filled up the gas tank, and they went over to the house a little bit further down the road. And they told the fellow down there who was involved in the Bible study and said, man, thank God for that gas station down the road. This is further than what I thought. And, and the fellow that owns the house said, what gas station down the road? He said, the one down about a mile down the road. There's no gas station down the road. What do you mean? I just filled up my gas tank down there. No, you didn't. Well, you may have, but there was, there's not a gas station. Then went back and there was no gas station there. Let's get a couple more of those today because you don't have to pay for it. How about it? These are just some of the Old Testament things that took place. Look at some of the new. You know this one, John chapter 2. John chapter. Can you imagine being so confident like Jesus was? You know the story. Jesus said to them, fill up the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and, he, and saith unto him, every man at the beginning to set forth good wine and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This being, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. How many of you know you can fill up your water pots Every day, and they just don't turn into wine. Right? Yeah. You could fill up your water pot and set it in the, in, in the parking lot of Welch's and leave it there for a year, and it still won't turn into wine. It just won't happen. Jesus knew something that we don't know. Imagine that. Okay, look at the next one. John 6. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. 
than those men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is a tr of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. He's got more things that he knows how to do. Multiplying bread and fish. My goodness. Look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 39. Here's another one. This is miraculous. This is divine intervention. This is a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God that interferes with the course of nature. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In the middle of a storm, peace, be still. And boom, there's a great calm. That doesn't happen. But he made it happen. And then finally, look at uh, Matthew 14, verses 26 to 32. Here we have Jesus walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Don't you love that nonchalant response? It's just me. I'm just going for a walk. Uh, uh, okay. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be you, then bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith. <laughs> that always gets to me. He's walking on the water. And Jesus says, you little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea and the waves obey him? Now, let's conclude by just sharing with you some of these events that took place in the Indonesian revival. And if you've never read the book, Like a Mighty Wind, I encourage you to do so. Way back in the late 60s, early 70s, this, this revival took place in Indonesia. And these teams were put together, uh, designed to go forth throughout the entire regions, round about where they were, and these teams to go forth and go to these, all, all these villages and preach the gospel to all these people. And I'm telling you, what took place goes beyond anything we can comprehend. It was like Bible days relived all over again. They walked on water to cross rivers that were at flood level. And when they, the current was so strong that it, it would just take you away. The villagers on the other side saw them standing there and they said, don't even think about coming across it. You're going to die. Even the team members stood back and just said, you know, I don't know about this one. We might. And the one fellow was brave enough to stand up and just say, you know what? If I die, then I'm going to, be, I'm going to die obeying God because God said to go across this river. So he steps out into the water. And it was ankle deep. And he stepped out to the middle of the river and it was ankle deep. And they all just looked at him wondering, hmm. Then the team member said, we better follow because if not, we're going to be left behind. We're disobey God. And so they began to do the same thing. And they went out and they're in the water ankle deep. Now, these other people that are still standing back, they just said, well, it's just, we can't believe it, but it must be shallow. We're in a place where it's shallow. One went to go in and just about drowned. They had to pull him out. It was 30 feet deep. When they got to the other side, all the villagers, he had their, they had their attention. All they had to do is say, Jesus did it. You talk about walking on water. And the list goes on and on. In monsoon season, they got villages saved by a spiritual umbrella. Monsoon season, 
and it is raining down like you wouldn't believe. And as they went to knock on their little doors, they came out and saw them. Not wet. The feet, feet were a little bit muddy to show that they did walk all the way there. They had a spiritual umbrella that kept them dry. And when they saw that, how were you doing this? They got their attention. All these villagers got saved by these things. And then the list goes on and on. I, like, again, there's so many things. Authority over the animal kingdom. They spoke their snakes, and the snakes obeyed them. They, smoked, they, they spoke to alligators or crocodiles, and they obeyed them and turned and went away rather than eat, eating them for lunch. It was amazing what God did there. 